The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, we will be starting shortly. Just waiting for everybody to get online. Um, this will take a few more minutes. Thank you. Just a few more minutes, uh, Mr. Nabil will turn on his camera too. We had a bit of technical issues, but everything is all right. Thank you. Okay, then officially, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is uh, Simona. Um, today I'm hosting the webinar for cash management in crisis. Um, this session will be delivered by Mr. Nabil Alov. Um, he will shortly introduce himself, of course. Um, uh, I'm going to be short. I just uh, wanted to mention that after this presentation that Mr. Nabil will deliver, um, we will have a um, 20 minute a short Q&A um, session. Uh, you can ask uh, the trainer questions, of course, related to um, the topics and the presentation by Mr. Nabil, and he will be answering those questions. 
Um, also, uh, one more thing is that um, those who will stay with us until um, the end uh, of this webinar uh, will receive um, certification of attendance um, to your email addresses. Um, so uh, that's pretty much it. Now we are waiting to um, get online more people on the webinar. We will be starting shortly once Mr. Uh, Napil will be on. And please bear with us. Thank you very much. Simona, Simona, I have a screen here. It's telling me you are muted by the organizer, and I cannot see where I can turn on my uh, camera. Nabil, are you with us? Yes. Okay, great. Hello. Should we start? Uh, yes, now I will step aside. Um, feel free to proceed with your introduction and the presentation. And again, thank you very much for all joining us today and enjoy the webinar. Yes, hello, good afternoon. Hope everyone is doing fine and welcome to this uh, webinar, uh, Cash Management in Crisis. Um, firstly, I would uh, hope and wish that um, everyone is safe and sound all over, wherever you are. Uh, it's uh, a very unfortunate situation that we are all passing through and therefore we just need to be patient and hope for the uh, best to happen. Um, I just want to make sure that everyone has access to my, um, here we go, to the presentation. Uh, the title of the presentation today is Cash Management in Crisis, uh, the webinar presentation. So what we are going to um, go over here is um, what we're going to cover, or before that, let me give you a brief about my background. Again, my name is Nabil Al-Ouf. Um, I'm originally from uh, Syria. I was raised in Beirut, Lebanon. I pursued my education in the United States of America. Um, I, my education, I have a master's degree in accounting and finance from Portland State University. I also have a BA in business administration from Concordia University in the USA. I pursued executive education at Harvard, uh, Harvard Business School, HBC, in the USA. I am a certified public accountant, a certified fraud examiner. I am also old in MA, certified risk-based auditor, and certificate in risk management assurance. I hold uh, different uh, professional uh, uh, prior uh, and current 
uh, posts. Uh, currently, I work as an independent consultant for uh, quite through some companies. Upon Leoran is the leading company that I work with. Prior to that, I was the group head of internal audit for an oil and gas company called the Dragon Oil. Uh, Dragon Oil is a subsidiary of Emirates National, uh, National Oil Company. It's an oil company held by Enoch. Uh, prior to that, I was the group chief financial officer for a conglomerate group in Dubai called Al Ghurair Group. And prior to that, I was the chief financial officer for AWI International. It's um, a media company. And I have also worked with Nihan Code in America and the USA as the head of internal audit. The industry experience varies between oil and gas, food and beverage, trading, retail, manufacturing, and healthcare. So we move on now. The webinar and the course content will focus on the following major points. Uh, number one is managing the business in a period of crisis. This world is always susceptible to crisis, and so there could be some times where we run into major challenges when we are going through a crisis, irrespective of whether it's COVID-19 or any other crisis. So management normally needs to take action and um, ensure that you know there is always an action plan or a crisis management plan embodied within the company, a resilient so that it faces these major crises that they are facing. Then we will shed light about, in general, about the business interruption from COVID-19. What are the business interruptions that can be encountered during the COVID-19 uh, uh, process, or so to say? We will identify also and discuss the different types of interruptions that could cause your business. Uh, one of them is the impact on your healthcare and your business, apparently because this is a health uh, situation. But mainly, mainly, uh, we will uh, shed light over the working capital concept and, and what are the effects of the companies and the impact on the company's working capital and cash management. So we will go into the cash and liquidity challenges in the business. Uh, we focus on how to better manage your debtors and creditors sensibly during this period of crisis. Apparently, we will identify some short-term business alternatives and some medium-term business alternatives and then we will highlight the importance of acting rapidly. So this is what are the key elements that will be covered. So we move into the first point, which is managing your business in crisis. By nature, most people avoid planning for crisis situations. They don't like to talk about it. Why? Because it's a pressure. They need to be proactive, creative, and some of them don't even foresee spending time on something that might happen or might not happen. So in general, the nature of business is that they want to avoid planning for crisis situations. It's like companies when you're talking about fraud. 
everyone knows that every company experienced somehow fraud to a certain extent. But no company would like to talk about fraud in their organizations. Neither they want to deal with fraud. It is just too hard to, for the year to, to speak about fraud. The same thing is with crisis situations. The matter with the crisis situations is that people need to be creative and proactive in thinking and draw plans to something that some otherwise some people would think would never happen. So by nature, most people avoid planning for crisis situations. Unfortunately, disaster can strike any company at any time. And therefore, in companies or in organizations that they avoid planning for crisis situations, all of a sudden they found themselves under the disaster when it hits or when it occurs or when it strikes. The difference between planning and non-planning for a situation like this is imagine as if you have a tsunami. You have a tsunami and you are imagining that there is a tsunami coming towards you versus you are planning and making plans how to uh, strike away from this tsunami. So you do plan and you put uh, 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 action plans versus you don't do that at all. And then the tsunami is hitting you. And the only thing you're doing or you can do is you're maneuvering yourself, swimming out of the tsunami. So that's the difference between uh, forward thinking, planning ahead of time, and you know simply just act under the circumstance. So by nature, most people avoid planning, and this will lead, unfortunately, to a disaster when it hits. People don't know how to act, so they are acting under these circumstances. So you might survive, and you might not survive. And this is the main problem from the, um, the avoidance of planning. Next, even more difficult than actually planning for such an occurrence, is the task of determining what possibilities to plan for. So some people might be convinced that, yes, we need to plan. And so they took the first initiative step towards planning for this crisis or crisis situation. But then considering and scratching the mind into the alternatives and what needs to be done and identifying the risks and drawing mitigation plans, it's what really make people more and you know annoys more and more people because they need to determine and to identify and to consider what possibilities could happen under that uh, crisis situation lately the list seems endless for natural disasters like earthquakes or floods to man-made disasters like terrorist attacks or oil spills these are all considered natural disasters or crisis situations when it hit the companies. And normally, if companies are not ready to deal with these situations, you will be surprised and amazed that a lot amount of companies will experience a huge amount of losses. Some of them will even experience shutdowns and they run out of business. Within the walls of a business, the crisis could be anything from a breakdown in leadership to intentional sabotage. 
So the crisis and the wide range of crises is very broad. It's always important to remember that no matter what type of crisis you may face, the technology is in place to make the news public within minutes. So the problem is you cannot hide it. Why? It will go viral. So there is a huge amount of reputational damage as well. So is your company or are your companies prepared for crisis? While crisis situations may present themselves in a variety of ways, each one has the ability to cause serious financial damage and perhaps more importantly, damage to your company's brand. I think we've gone over that. So no need to report and highlight how important it is for the company to have a crisis uh, management situation. In 2010, the Japanese automaker Toyota faced a crisis of epic proportions. Other notables such as Johnson & Johnson, ExxonMobil, and Pepsi-Cola also faced unexpected disasters. So valuable lessons can be learned from their examples, lessons that can be applied to your business. And let's take a closer look at the steps. In general, there is a six-step process for case management. Number one, ensure strong leadership. Number two, assemble a crisis management team. Number three, develop a crisis management plan. Number four, train your employees. Number five, communicate timely and consistently. And number six, update the crisis management plan. So these six steps are essential and to put in together when you are planning for a crisis management situation. Let's go over the, the first one briefly over the six points. Number one, ensure strong leadership. Today, today, if you are going through a crisis situation and you don't have a leadership, your crisis situation plan will be as strong as the leadership that are thinking and putting together this plan. If the leadership is weak, it's most likely that the crisis management situation will turn out to be weak. Okay, so to ensure that you have a strong crisis management situation, you need strong leadership managing this deal. Number two, leadership alone cannot do it. You need a team along with the leadership. So what you need to do is a crisis management team needs to be appointed, identified and appointed also to join the crisis management, the leadership and the rest of the team. Number three, develop a crisis management plan. If we have a strong leadership and we have a strong management team, but we miss a strong plan, then we are rowing, we are probably as if we are running in our place. We're not moving forward. In order for a crisis management situation to be mitigated and dealt with in a very extremely and efficient manner, you have to have a crisis management plan. There should be a plan. You should think ahead of time what you need to do rather than mitigating throughout the situation. Number four, you need to train your employees. 
if your employees are not trained on how to deal with crisis situations or crisis management, then it will be extremely difficult to trickle down this crisis management plan from up to bottom. Remember, the crisis management plan or team or the plan itself does not only attend uh, upper management, it, it, it applies to upper management, middle management, and uh, uh, lower management as well, up down to the employee level. Why? Because when a crisis hits, it hits the entire organization. It does not hit sectors of the organization. Number five, communicate timely and consistently. During a crisis management situation, communication should not be the normal communication that takes place on a day-to-day -day basis. It should be more, uh, um, so to say, more in volume, more in variability as well. For example, I, I, I am currently a group chief financial officer for a conglomerate in Dubai. We've been quarantined at home for almost a month and a half now. We normally communicate throughout the day, maybe four or five times when we are regularly at work. Every other day, not each one of us sees everyone else during the day. In our situation now, we communicate daily. We have timely meetings, whether we have things to discuss or not. We need to attend, we need to communicate, we need to show, we need to see each other more than one time per day. So all of us need to be hiked and ready to take action. So communication should be enhanced and constant rather than distinct during this crisis management situation. So some people think if we are quarantined, we might stay home. So communication, you know, uh, and contacts should mellow out because, you know, we're sitting home. It's an excuse. No, this is opposite to the contrary. Communication and timely communication and should be extremely variant and uh, intensive. Finally, update the crisis management plan. There will be a plan, and when there you put a plan, you need to constantly update the plan because when the crisis uh, strikes, the outcome is not probable, I mean, 100%. So you might have put a plan in action for certain outcomes. As you go through the crisis, continuous improvement and revision of the plan should take place. So as to go parallel with the actual impact of the crisis, rather than putting one plan and go all the way through the plan without maneuvering and timely adjustments of the plan. Again, so in any crisis management situation, you need to do the, you need to undergo the following six steps. Ensure strong leadership, assemble a crisis management team, develop a crisis management plan, train your employees, communicate timely and consistently, and update the crisis management plan. Next, we shared about the business interruption from COVID-19. We know all COVID-19, but some people call it epidemic, epidemic. We all know that we are in a situation where the entire globe is affected by it. So due to the current COVID-19 crisis, companies are preparing for potentially disruptive scenarios. 
due to the COVID-19, there are a lot of companies and organizations all around the world that have been forced to go into a quarantine. Going into a quarantine does not necessarily mean that your business will stop. Going to a quarantine majorly affects the communication within the company. For example, the group I work for has a diversified operations, but for example, a, a software development and hardware distribution uh, I can give an example of these two companies. Software development, we have contracts. The contracts are still being served, and they are being served uh, virtually. Hardware distribution. Um, from the UAE, where I'm throwing to you this presentation, uh, there are certain times through which companies can go out and make deliveries, uh, and to that extent. So that has not been um, uh, hit hard. What is the most challenging scenario? Communication. If your company is not set to work virtually in a crisis management situation, communication will be the hardest, hardest area that your company will be hit with. It will go slow, things will go slow, and the channels of communication will go abrupt. So it may impact us in months ahead, the COVID-19 it might impact the entire globe for months ahead. Today, the modern world has not yet reached a cure, has not yet reached a solution for the COVID-19 situation. Despite the fact that we hear news about uh, uh, um, countries uh, sequentially or gradually opening, the thing of the matter is that all this could change. Um, Nabil, what we're hearing. Just a short uh, a tip. Uh, don't forget to flip the slides, uh, as we cannot see any slides flipped uh, quite some time now. Um, maybe. Uh, is it flipping now? Um, just a second. No. Okay. Well, um, sorry about this. Hold on because I think um, my slide is flipping here. Mm -hmm. Hold on, please. From my side, I cannot see uh, any other slide than the managing your business in crisis. Okay, just one second, please. Let me see what I can do here. Sorry about that. Not a problem, take your time. Okay. You do see the slide, right? Wait, yes, yes. Okay. Do you see it? Is it flipping now? Yes, it does. Okay, very well. Okay. Sorry about that. Not a Let problem. Let me go. Let me go a couple of slides before then. Okay. This is where we started the course content. And then this is where we went into managing your business in crisis. We spoke about the nature. I think we went over that. Everyone saw that probably. Yes. Okay. So now we go into the six steps process, which is ensure strong leadership, assemble a crisis management team, develop a crisis management plan, train your employees, 
communicate timely and consistently. And step number six, which is update the crisis management plan. Then we moved into the next one, and we've spoken about the business interruption from COVID-19. We said that due to the current COVID-19 crisis, companies are preparing for potentially disruptive scenarios. Each company has different type of scenarios that could disrupt its operations. We spoke that the impact of the COVID-19 situation uh, could be ahead for months ahead. Uh, we keep hearing news about the situation being handled or not handled. Uh, some countries are gradually opening, but the truth of the matter is that there is nothing uh, definite at the present time. So based on that, departments are working to stabilize the business, understand the consequences, and prepare for an economic downturn. Apparently, yes, there could be an economic downturn. The finance and treasury functions plays a central role in monitoring and steering the company's cash and liquidity situation. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we get to the fourth point number four, which is the most important point that uh, we need to deal with. The finance and treasury functions in any organization plays a central role in monitoring and steering the company's cash and liquidity situation. So what is cash and liquidity? And what is uh, uh, and how does this plays under a treasury function within a business? We need to know that net profit is one thing and cash and liquidity is a different thing. Companies could be profitable, but they run into a cash flow problem or a liquidity situation, which forces them to stop business. So even if your company is profitable, on the paper, it's making profit, net income, which means your sales minus your expenses is profit. Nevertheless, a profitable company could run out of business. So how can I run out of business and I'm making profit? The answer is very simple. Poor treasury function, poor cash flow management. This will lead a company to stop the business. How? The company will not be able to meet its obligations in terms of payments. So although you're making profit, your working capital is not being managed properly, thereby putting stress on your cash up to a point where you are not capable of paying your dues. You have cash coming in the channel, but then it's distressed and therefore you cannot pay your dues, so your business will stop because the suppliers will stop supplying you and practically you will run out, your operations will stop. So let's see how can this happen. The reason I'm talking about this is during the COVID-19 situation in particular, in general, during any economical crisis or a, a, a health crisis or any crisis in general, companies get hard hit in their cash flow management. So cash flow and liquidity is the name of a game during any uh, crisis management situation. So let's identify what do we mean by working capital? What is working capital? Working capital is not the capital that the company pay when they start the business. It's not your paid in capital. Working capital is the amount and liquidity of funds available for any company 
to manage its day-to-day -day operations, which is to transfer its profits into cash. That's what we call working capital. The availability of cash that will make the company capable of procuring what it needs and paying its expenses and retaining a profit. This amount of cash, we call it working capital because it rotates, it keeps on rotating. The original capital of the firm, we call it paid in capital. When you start a company, you pitch in a capital 10, 20, 30, 40 million, 1 billion to start the business. This is what we call capital. But working capital is the capital, which is the amount of money that you circulate in your business to keep the business floating. It generates from the cash that you have plus the cash that comes in from your profits minus your expenses, the cash that you pay for your expenses and your payables. This is what we call capital or working capital management. Okay, so it's primarily financing assets and liabilities. The cash goes into financing your assets and paying your liabilities. Okay, so that's what we call a capital management or a working capital uh, system. It refers to a company's current assets and current liabilities. The current assets, of course, is your cash and cash equivalents, accounts receivables and inventory, and your current liabilities are your accounts payables, notes payables. What you need to understand is that the working capital is a short-term indication. It is your current assets minus your current liabilities is your working capital. Current assets are your cash, your inventory that you will turn into cash, your prepayments, your accounts receivables, money in the market that you're gonna collect. This is your current assets. It's assets that are either in cash or can be transformed to cash within one year or less. This is your current assets. So cash in your banks is a current asset because it's already in cash, it's in your bank. Account receivable is a current asset. Why? Because it's money in the market that you will collect based on your selling terms, 30, 60, 90 days, what have you. So as soon as you collect it, it will turn into cash. And normally companies don't offer more than 180 days uh, selling terms. So probably this is why it's considered the current assets. You will collect it in less than one year. Inventories, why do they call inventories uh, uh, current assets as well? It's because you're going to use your inventories in your business to generate sales. And when you sell, you're going to build. And when you build, you're going to create the money, collect the money. So it's current assets as well. And so forth. Your current liabilities are dues, payments that you need to make within one year or less. That's what is defined as current liability. For example, accounts payables to your suppliers are current liabilities. Due to banks on your overdrafts are current liabilities. Uh, current portion of long-term debt, it's a current liability. So the current liabilities, like current assets, are liabilities that you need to pay within one year or less. These are called current liabilities. Current assets are assets that are either in cash already sitting in your bank account or will be translated to cash within one year or less.
So ladies and gentlemen, the essence of working capital is between the balance of your current assets and your current liabilities. Remember, the view is one year. The definition is current assets are assets that are either in cash or will be translated to cash within one year or less. Current liabilities are payments to outsiders outside the company, could be your suppliers, due, due payments to anyone that are coming due within one year or less. So your current assets and your current liabilities intermingle with each other. If your current assets are not more, you don't have enough current assets to cover your current liabilities, this is where you will have a cash flow problem. You're not meeting your dues. Any crisis situation normally will bring the timely arrival of your current assets. See, it's all about assets and liabilities. You have cash, you have money coming into you, you have dues, you have payments you need to make to people. So how can you manage this in a crisis situation uh, such as COVID-19, for example? What is the impact really here? The impact is you have suppliers you need to pay, you have money and you have receivables. So the main essence here is what? Time, T-I-M-E, time. How time will affect the timely transfer of your receivables into cash and how fast or how slow you need to pay to your suppliers. Under this concept is the working capital management. Maneuvering your cash within your organization of your assets to cover your liabilities, current assets to cover your uh, current liabilities is what we call working capital management. So as a brief, working capital management is, management is managing the cash of your current assets versus your current liabilities. It's managing the balance between your current assets and your current liabilities. Of course, there are always a trade-off in working capital. <laughs> okay, what is the trade-off? The trade-off is there is liquidity and there is profitability. So if I use too much of my working capital and I'm getting down on uh, cash, then I need to borrow money from the bank, correct? <coughs> Excuse me. So borrowing money will cost you money as well. So in your mind, always, you need to think, the more cash you have and you keep, the stronger you are in terms of working capital management and you are liquidity rich. Okay? So there are two strategies for the working capital management. You have a conservative approach and you have an aggressive approach. <coughs> Excuse me. The conservative approach normally is to maximize liquidity which means your selling terms will be not stretched too much you press on your uh, uh, sup uh, uh, suppliers to give you too much credit you bring down the level of your inventory this is what we call the conservative means you want to keep cash in your bank available as much as possible the aggressive approach is when you stretch your cash 
you want to maximize profitability. So you will ask yourself, how can I maximize profitability and I'm relaxing my cash in the market? How? Because you give better selling terms to your customers, extend the selling terms so your sales will go up. You build up on your inventory, buying them at favorable prices, and you pay fast to your suppliers to get discounts. This costs you cash, correct? But it brings up your sales. And this is where the trade-off is between liquidity and profitability. The reason I'm mentioning this is because you need to understand in a crisis situation where we have just spoken about, similar to COVID-19, the name of the game is cash management and liquidity. This is where big companies and small companies suffer alike. Liquidity and cash management. This is what we call working capital. Managing your working capital is managing your cash and your arrival, timely arrival of your receivables versus your payments. But you need to remember, when you stretch it, there could be reasons for that to increase your sales. Okay? Let's go next. This is the summary of the conservative approach. Level of cash is high, account receivable is high. Uh, uh, increased liquidity, the benefit is increased liquidity. You decrease your cost and you have a more of a long-term sources to be used. Versus the aggressive approach where you are low on cash and receivables, increased profitability, decreased liquidity, and uses more short-term sources of financing. Very well. So let's not now take too much time into explaining the working capital, and let's move on into what are short and long-term initiatives that most companies think about when they are in a crisis situation specifically similar to the one which is the COVID-19. Again, the name of the game here is cash flow management and working capital management. Some short-term initiatives are as follows. Number one, monitor funding needs on a daily basis by having daily cash feasibility. If you work for companies and when the crisis strike and we were all quarantined, if finance people did not call upon them, the remaining units within the company and the budgets, and they told them to reforecast budgets and to reforecast cash matters, then you are behind. <clears throat> the first step that should be done is to simulate a cash flow model and to revise your financials. How much money is coming in versus how much money is going out? Number two, identify and release trapped cash within the group for efficient use. Many organizations have cash set aside. So what we need to do is to, to release trapped cash, identify exactly what's available for the group to use. Number three, contact banks to secure and extend credit lines. This is one of the most important steps that you need to do. You need to contact your bank and explore for him availability, the possibility of the bank funding you on top of what you already have from your bank, okay? And or extend the credit lines to you, overdrafts. 
use your group's leverage to secure the lines. Sometimes approach them on a group level. That's what we do in our group. We have individual companies. I am the group chief financial officer. I take this on my, um, uh, under my responsibility, of course, in coordination with the finance managers of the individual entities. But I contact the bank. Why? For two reasons. Number one, there is a high level assurance. Number two, to the bank, it's more secure because a group CFO sees the finances of the group overall, rather than cutting with them piecemeal deals on individual uh, companies. Number four, obtain an understanding of governmental cooperate credit initiatives. During crisis management, governments try to help. For example, in the UAE, the central bank has pumped in 50 billion dirhams to the banking sectors. Why? Why did they do that? Why not to the public, some people ask? Because the banks are the veins of the economy. I go to the bank, I take a loan. If I default on my loan, the bank did not collect money from me. If about 1,000 people do the same thing I do, bank liquidity will go down. If you are a depositor, you have your money in a saving account, and all these defaults on the loan take place, the bank could be shortages of funds and cash. So if I'm not in debt to the bank, if I'm a customer of the bank and I have my money in a saving account and want to go and withdraw money, the bank would tell me, I'm sorry, I will not be able to pay you your money because people who owe me money are not paying me, so I cannot pay you. So what will happen? It will bring a huge problem in society. So this is where government goes in and they intersect, they feed into the banking sectors. So you need to know what are the initiatives that the government and the country that you are located in have done to the banking sector and how it affects your business because there could be easy money that has been set aside for certain businesses upon which your business could be one of them next establish a detailed three-month cash forecast on a daily basis to identify sorted shortages as early as possible i would go for a six-month forecast not a three-month forecast three months forecast is better than nothing six-month forecast is more challenging why because a six-month forecast if you are in a uh, difficult situation right now uh, probably you're gonna call your bank and ask them to postpone the payments for you if you have due payments to the bank you will show them the payables to your suppliers but if you don't show them your receivables as well the bank is reluctant He's scared that you will take money from him and you will not return the money for to him. So uh, it, it could be situations sometimes where the recovery of receivables of certain businesses stretches more than three months. And this is why I'm saying go for a six month forecast, because if you only go with a three month forecast, all you're showing the bank is that you are in a problematic situation, but you're not showing him how cash is returning to your business. That is, if you have a delayed receivable cycle. So go for a six month, start with three months, but then extrapolate it to a six month basis. It's much better and convincing. Next, 
closely track working capital KPIs. Look what this sentence is telling you. Closely track working capital KPIs. Working capital, this is what I explained to you in the couple of slides before. Your assets, current assets and current liabilities. They have KPIs. For example, the current ratio. The current ratio, you take your total current assets and you divide them over your total current liabilities. What does this ratio tell you? It tells you your, the capability of your company in meeting its short-term obligations within one year. Because current assets are cash and what can be translated to cash within one year or less. Current liabilities are liabilities that you need to pay for, uh, within one year or less. If you take your total current assets, for example, let's assume they are $1 million, and your total current liabilities are half a million dollars, this means if you take the current ratio, which is your total current assets, one million divided by your total current liabilities of half a million, your ratio is two to one. So you have in your right pocket two dollars to pay one, uh, to pay a one dollar debt in your left pocket. So you are 100% safe. Why? You have double the amount. What you're saying is within one year, I need to pay half a million dollars. And within one year, I have cash and receivables and inventory worth one million dollars. So this is a KPI associated with your working capital. Remember, it's current assets divided by current liabilities. Look at your balance sheet. Total current assets divided by total current liabilities gives you a ratio, two to one. That's a KPI. Okay? The lower this ratio becomes, the more difficulty in liquidity you are going to have. For example, you have in your right-hand pocket one uh, current assets, one million. Current liabilities is 900,000. The ratio is almost one to one. So you are getting to a dangerous level. You barely have $1 in your left right pocket to cover almost 90 cents in your left pocket. So if you, uh, for example, the current assets, some of your receivables, you had a 200,000 right, right uh, bad debt expense in your receivables, you did not collect. They were part of your current assets, but you did not collect them. So your current assets became 800. Your current liabilities are 900. This means you don't have enough money to meet your liabilities coming to you within one year. So again, to wrap up this, this is part of working capital management and a KPI, assets, current assets versus current liabilities. Next, identify initiatives for improving payment terms at account receivables and accounts payables. This might be difficult, but at least a company has to think about measures that are practical and realistic. Practically, in order for you not to fall into this crisis situation of your cash flow getting abrupt and your liquidity getting damaged, what you need to do is you need to secure cash for your company to make sure that you pay your expenses, your payroll, and your running expenses. Normally, this cash comes from your profit. And it takes time by your selling terms, receivables. Meanwhile, you have payments. So in order not to fall into this problem, simply stated, you need to slow down your payments and expedite your receivables. So in a day-to-day -day language, you need to pay slower than you collect. There's a balance. Take it as simple as it is. You need to pay slower than you collect. If you pay faster than you collect, you are going to have a cash flow problem. You're going to have a liquidity situation. 
because you're paying fast, you're collecting slow. And then you will get in a situation where you don't have money to pay anymore. So you need to slow down your payments and expedite your cash in. How do you do that? You communicate with the suppliers, you communicate with your banks to try to push the debt or get borrowing from the bank to meet your payments. But the balance is renegotiate with accounts payables and with all these people to slow down the payments and expedite the collections. The presentation or the class will also address uh, extent or set up factoring and reversing. It will teach you how to set up factoring and reverse factoring programs. Uh, when we talk about factoring and reverse factoring, we're talking about uh, invoice discounting, factoring invoices, receivables. These are all techniques that the course will attend on teaching live scenarios on how to manage this and how to expedite the cash and slow down. And it teaches you best practices in terms of how to slow the payments and negotiation with the suppliers and the banks versus how you can expedite your cash in. Remember, in a crisis situation, the name of the game is cash flow management. You could still sell and make profit, but timely arrival of cash to pay your expenses and to pay your salaries and keep floating, that's the challenge because everyone will be sitting on cash and everyone is scared. Next, monitor covenants of your financing activities and simulate stress scenarios for covenant breaches. So if the bank gives you money and he tells you, okay, but you need to maintain certain covenants because the bank is giving it the money on the risk base and certain covenants will make him feel comfortable, you need to maintain these covenants because during a crash situation, you, you will have very few friends available. Bank is a friend that you don't want to lose during a crash situation. And how you will keep your relation with the bank? by being extremely, extremely, extremely transparent. You need to approach them transparent. This is my situation. We rely upon our partners to help us during a scenario like this. So you don't go to the bank and you're expecting him to help you. Uh, 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 you, need to, you need to gain his trust and he needs to gain your trust as well, okay? By doing that, you need to be transparent with the bank because in a crisis situation, God forbids, if you go with a shadow story to the bank and things don't go as you have told the bank, rest assured, the bank willingness to help you will drastically decrease because he cannot help a client that he cannot trust. It's his money after all. Okay, so we need to be extremely transparent with our banking relations. Medium, uh, medium term initiatives will rotate around improving the global cash pool set up for a more automated and efficient usage of cash. Now, this is then if the epidemic is, is, is taking more time to be resolved, then you need to start thinking about a medium term solution. Okay. Set up an internal credit risk monitoring for all cash pool members. Now you need to change the nature of your business. So what you're trying to do here now, you're trying to say, listen, I am in a very sensitive situation. I need to take a look back at my credit sales, my credit history, my um, cash pool members, the one that I go with them on credit, both buying and selling. 
fortify your core bank strategy and use the group strengths to negotiate credit lines and allocate ancillary business on a higher scale in an orchestrated manner. Sometimes I receive phone calls from the CEOs of the individual companies telling me, Mr. Nabil, can we have our finance manager negotiate this deal with the bank? Okay. When you are not in a crisis situation, of course, go ahead. And we try to be as much decentralized as possible. Why? For two reasons. Each company will have its own way of negotiation. And number two, we want to train people as well. If every time the manager wants to ask something, I have to go to the bank and ask it for him, then this guy is not getting trained. He's not living the situation. Except, except in a crisis management situation, one man should deal with the bank because the bank does not like to hear contradicting stories. Managers sometimes go into the mistake of arguing or saying something which is not consistent with the scenario that the group CFO is building up. And apparently the bank will get conflicting scenarios. Guess what? <clears throat> Trust is not there. He starts suspicion. So the approach always negotiate from within the company, but then approach the banks from a one single focal point, unified strategy. It is not a bad idea if you have a conference call to have your managers or whoever is involved in these matters on call with you, but the speaking is always to the main focal point. Should the bank ask the question that the main focal point cannot answer, he will ask from a related member on the conference call to ask because that member could more be experienced in that specific situation. But what's important is uh, fortify your core bank strategy and go for a unified group bank. Plus, a group approach gives much more stronger leverage. Next, set up technical structures for a flexible increase or degrees of supply chain finance and factoring programs, plug and play platforms are available and easy to integrate. Um, one of our companies deal with the hardware distribution. Now, apparently because of the COVID situation, we have signed contracts with certain people that we need to pay them, correct? We need to make payments, uh, supply them with material. So my supplier need to uh, cater this material with me. My uh, suppliers are global suppliers such as Samsung, LG, all these companies supplied me with hardware. If there's an abrupt in the supply chain, I have a problem with my customer there, okay, which could put me under penalties. So here I need, in addition to the cash flow, I need to secure a supply chain of my business. So I don't want interruption in the normal day-to-day -day operations of my business. It could sound impossible sometimes because this is a global matter. Nevertheless, you need to minimize the amount of interruptions that can cause this business. Improve cash forecasting and liquidity management to have more accurate and reliable data and identify the group's business drivers for liquidity, being using predictive analytics for liquidity planning. We keep hearing cash flow management liquidity, cash flow management liquidity you need to prevail some sort of a culture within the organization. That liquidity is of an essence. It is the main challenge. Cash, whoever's sitting on cash and liquidity is the winner. 
okay? So you need to derive and you need to build up some sort of a culture during the crisis that people and employees and whoever is dealing or working with the company, you are not at a leisure as you are in a normal situation in terms of committing to cash. So you need to drive this culture within the organization. Finally, increase the centralization of finance activities. And this is exactly what I spoke about in the two points prior to that, is when, when you go in, centralization of this function is more preferred now to reduce the number of speakers and maximize the, um, sort to say, leverage on a group level. So all in all, uh, as a conclusion, the course, this crisis management in, uh, uh, in, uh, or cash management in crisis, will attempt what are the impacts of COVID-19 situations, what are the impacts on, the, uh, 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 on your organization and business. The key element of the impact is how to manage your cash flow, because this is what is the essence. It would get into case studies and actual situations on how to approach your banks, how to realign with your suppliers, how to realign with your uh, receivables and with your customers. It also teaches how to put a plan to deal with this uh, situation. And finally, it will give you uh, examples, live examples, workouts, worksheets on how to deal and how to figure out and simulate your cash flow needs uh, at least for about six months, enabling you to surf through this turbulent uh, um, crisis or this turbulent time that we are passing through. Um, I hope you um, uh, enjoyed the webinar. Um, uh, Simona, I think you are, uh, uh, you are with me here? Yes, I am here. Okay. Yeah. So uh, um, uh, the, uh, the webinar, the presentation is over. I think we can open um, a brief session for questions and answers. I, I hope everyone enjoyed the webinar. Please, if you have specific sets of questions, by the way, we will try to answer as much as possible. I'm not sure how many questions there are, but rest assured that we are limited in time a little bit. And I will uh, attempt along with uh, my colleague Simona to go over your questions um, and try to answer them to the best of the time that we still have. Simona will go ahead and read the questions and I will try to uh, uh, attend to them. Simona, are you going to read them or are you going to uh, show them? Yes. First of all, thank you, Nabil, for the presentation. It was really great. Um, so now we are in the Q&A um, session where you are able to ask questions related to the topics and the presentation. Um, just to mention, um, uh, feel free to ask if you have any technical questions about Leoron or the courses about Leoron, you can email me directly and I will provide you answers via email. Uh, on the other hand, now we will provide answers only related to the topics and the presentation. Um, okay, so let's... Uh, start with uh, the questions. I have here a question from Ms. Safia. So she is asking, um, uh, we can, uh, just a second. 
Can I see the question or would you rather read it? Uh, yeah, you can see it actually pop out the session, uh, the section questions uh, on your screen. So the question from Safia is, um, is the cash our asset? Uh, is it our asset or it's not? Cash in general. Yes, cash. Okay, thank you. This is a very important question. Normally, uh, assets are divided into long-term assets and short-term assets. Or we call them current assets and non-current assets. Non-current assets are cash used to buy assets that will serve the company on a long-term basis. For example, equipment, machinery, long-term investments. These are called long-term assets. So when you pay cash for them, you are using these assets over a long period of time to derive value from them. Current assets are assets that the company own, both non-current and current, yani long-term and short-term assets, both are assets that belong to the company. For example, on the long-term assets, the equipment, the machinery, the distribution, the computers, furniture, these are all uh, 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 the ownership of the company, they own them but they derive value from them on a long-term basis. For example, when you buy furniture, you don't buy it for four days, five days. You buy it for four or five years. When you buy computers, you buy them maybe for one or two or three years. When you buy machinery, you buy them for 25 years. These are called assets. The company owns them, but you derive value from them. You use them on a long period of time. Coming to answer your question, cash is a liquid. Cash is liquid asset. Liquid means liquid, it's like water. So the most liquid asset that any company will have is cash. Why? Because you can simply take cash from your bank account and you can buy or sell anything you want from it. So cash is liquid. And because it's liquid, it doesn't take cash. <clears throat> Excuse me. It does not take cash long time to become cash. It's already cash. So this is why they call it current asset. So current assets are assets that the company has liquid available for it to use immediately. Long-term assets are assets that the company use them, but they derive value from them over a long period of time. So to answer your question, yes, cash is a liquid asset and it is considered as a current asset. It's the most liquid current asset. Thank you. Thank you, Nabil. Um, moving on to next one, uh, we have a question from Mr. Tamer. Um, in approaching banks to negotiate prices, uh, banks currently raise their prices and we face a hell of time pressuring them to accept our demands. Any advices in this regard? Okay, so if I understood the question is that in a time of crisis, one of the major challenges on, is on how to approach the banks and convince them and put pressure on them or uh, 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 kind of convince them to get the money. Yes, because they are raising their prices and there is pressure for them to accept the demands that we have. Absolutely. You know, to be fair, to be fair, today banks have money. But what you need to understand is that during a crisis situation, bank is also business. So the bank is like you, a business that might suffer also as an impact of the crisis. What, how does the bank get saved from this? From what we have spoke in the presentation, 
if there are initiatives from the government. Normally, during crisis situations, governments pump liquidity into banks. We just spoke about it. If you look at the American government, for example, the USA, they pumped in three, uh, three trillion US dollars, which is 3,000 billion US dollars. Where did this money go? It went into the system. Major amount are the banks. Why do they push this money into the bank? Because if the bank also, same as you as a business, is going to suffer, so the bank will not be able to give you money. So this is why the government gives the bank money so that somebody like, you know, whoever is asking, the gentleman who's asking the question is, goes to the bank, he will be able to get money. So before you pressure on the bank, you need to realize as to whether there has been some sort of a governmental mandate or injection into the economic system. I gave an example, for example, in the UAE, the central bank pumped 50 million dirhams into the banking sector, into all the banks. So when I heard that, I called my bank next day and I said, I need to um, refinance my payables, you know, 90 days. If the, if the bank says, no, I cannot, we are short on liquidity, I have already done my homework. I will tell him, what are you talking about? The central bank yesterday pimped in 50 million dollars into your sectors. So you need to know what did the government do? We'll give you a better leeway on how to approach banks. Now, suppose you're not sure about what the government has pumped in into the economy or into the banking sector. Your approach to the bank should be you are selling yourself. You need to sell him a case. You need to concentrate on the fact that you are a business partner. You need to be prepared. You need to show him a cash flow projection. You need to secure his worries that he's gonna get his money back. Banks normally stand to help. Don't worry, they will help. But with an incomplete exercise, with an incomplete unclear pictures, he will be more uh, susceptible for helping you. He's scared. So instead of thinking about it, that you are putting pressure on the bank to help you, you need to have a win-win approach with your bank. Putting pressure will not get you there, believe me. If you pressure your bank, it's gonna lead, it will lead into a deadlock. And guess what? There are a lot of people who are begging him for money as well. So don't get hard uh, into a hard situation with your bank. You need to be smart, buy him in. One best way to do it is to be prepared. Do a very good exercise in your cash flow projection. If you're going to the bank and asking money, you don't have a cash flow projection, I will be upset. So how about your bank? Okay, so I hope this answered your question. Thank you. Thank you. Um, moving to the next one. Um, just a second. We have here a question from Mr. Hassam. Um, how do you deal with payroll where when there is a liquidity issue in a company? Okay. Very good question. Uh, payroll, normally, payroll is uh, has a specific treatment. Why? Because in certain companies or certain countries, there are specific laws. So you cannot just simply take any action in your within your human resource department without taking into consideration the rules and regulation and the labor law within any company. Now, if you want to keep uh, 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 the workforce the same as is, but you are, simply, you are simply asking, how can we finance the payroll or what steps we can do? 
this is okay. But if your question is also directing about what are the possible actions uh, that you know a company can take regarding the employees in general, that's a different story. Why? I'll explain to you very fast. During a crisis situation, uh, governments don't want the companies to fall because if the companies fall, the economy will fall. Governments at the same time don't like employees to lose their jobs. But if I have to sacrifice certain employees to keep the company surviving and keep the economy of the country surviving, I think that would be to them, it's a preferred choice. So government during a, a, a lengthy crisis situation will enact a law regarding the labor and regarding the employees in companies and will send it, will pass it immediately. They will vote and pass the law. That law is not telling the company that you can fire anyone. No, that law will tell the company that there should be phases in terms of releasing workforce from your company so as to keep your company floating rather than everyone go home. So if 10 or 20 or 30% go home, there are still 70% surviving, okay? If everyone goes home, no one is surviving, the entire economy goes down. Hello. This is from the legal aspect. Now, if the gentleman's question is only directed towards how can we meet our payroll in a crisis phase, in a crisis management situation, irrespective of you know, whether there are government directives or not. Okay, apparently companies will face a cash flow. Part of this cash flow is to pay the timely suppliers, part of the cash flow is to meet the payments, and part of the cash flow is to pay their employees on time. But if the company does not have enough money to pay full salary at the end of the month, what should the company do? There are a few alternatives there. Number one, in a situation, um, you can, for example, if, if you face a situation where if you pay your payroll, you cannot pay your dues, the best advice is try to find a solution for the payroll and pay your dues. Because if the company stops, <laughs> no one is going to get payroll then. So you need to give priority to paying your dues. Different people deal with it different ways. Some people, for example, will give 50% salaries. Will say this month we only have 50% salaries and we will pay you the other 50% when the situation arrives. So they will announce that the entire payroll will be paid on a monthly basis 50% rather than 100%, keeping in mind that the remaining unpaid 50% is accrued into the company's liabilities, which means they will pay it as soon as things go back to normal. So this is one alternative. Other alternative, when it worsens up more, when you cannot even uh, come up with the 50%, this means your load force then, your load force, your total payroll, map power, is at question. It will get us to the unfortunate level where we, we need to start thinking whether we should start uh, decreasing the workforce. I'm really sorry to tell you this, but this is a fact. Sometimes it gets into a point of, of survival. No one likes to lay off employees. Employees have families, they have kids. Nevertheless, a business owner sometimes think if there are 100 families that are you know, living from this company, instead of closing the entire company and take no action, I better take an action on 10 or 15 or 20% to 
and have 80 families living from the camp. Because 80 families will be living for good, 20 will suffer. If I keep the 100, I can keep them for good for one or two months, and then everyone will suffer. Going back to the question, you can phase your payroll into percentages and pay the rest later. You can take a flat haircut on the payroll and say the entire payroll is down by 50%, 30%, 20%, what have we, and you will not pay the other 30 or 40%. If you are still facing with the problem after this phase off, then you need to reconsider the workload within your company, try to review what are the prevailing laws in your country, enact in a situation like this, and take action. Remember, no one likes this, but having 50 or 60 or 70% survive rather than having 100% go home. And I hope I have answered your question. Thank you, Nabil. Thank you. Um, moving on to the next one, uh, uh, Mr. Majid Basham um, is asking, um, reducing capital and operating expenses, is this part of cash flow management uh, within the crisis? Is it part of the cash flow uh, during the crisis? Reducing capital and operating uh, capital. Yes, capital and operating expenditures. Of course, both of them, both of them, capital expenditures and operating expenditures still play a very vital role in your working capital. How? Capital expenditures by nature are expenditures that the that the company has put excuse me, in the budget to spend this year, and these amounts are big, huge amount of money that has been put in the budget to spend for certain projects, certain expansions, what we have. Operating expenditures are expenditures that are uh, uh, included on, you know, to cater your day-to-day -day operations. These are OPEX, we call them OPEX, operating expenditures. And the capital expenditures, we call them CAPEX. CAPEX, normally, when you spend the money, you capitalize them in your balance sheet. You don't put them as part of your operating expenses. They're not booked as expenses on the income statement. They are changed into expenses when you start depreciating them. So the depreciation factor is the one that goes into the income statement. Nevertheless, we're not talking about this. <clears throat> the question is, does capital expenditures and OPEX affect the cash flow management same same or do they even have a relation with the working uh, capital management of course because in a time of crisis cash availability might come low when the cash is low management needs to take decisions on what to prioritize they need to build the priorities of spending the priorities of spending normally will give them an indication as to whether i need to keep spending on my capital expenditures or you know stop or reduce my capital expenditures that i have previously agreed i will spend in terms of cash surge and due to crisis where the cash that i thought will be coming to me is not going to be available so you need to take a decision should i keep going with this capital expenditure or if i do i will face a major problem with my cash and this is where the cash forecast will play a very important role. You start with the cash balance. You need to forecast something which is conservative, by the way. I mean, you are not in a normal situation. So apparently, some people even rebudget to figure out their cash needs. 
based on the outcome of the cash forecast, you will take a decision on how you prioritize your expenses, uh, upon which a major element of them is your capital expenditures. Remember, when you submitted the capital expenditures, there are mostly big amount of monies that are going to be spent for expansions, for research, for buying new equipment, what have we. So do they have effect? Of course they will have effect. Because the working capital, if you don't have borrowing, long-term borrowing from the banks against these capital expenditures, then you're, you are going to ease the money from your working capital. So this is why they will affect your working capital. But if the company secured long-term borrowing from the bank that goes along with funding your capital expansions, then it will not affect your working capital. Again, this is a very good question. When you submitted your capital expenditures, the group CFO made a cash flow and figured out whether you have enough money in the box to finance your capital uh, projects. If he has, he doesn't go to the bank. If he doesn't have, at the beginning of the year, before COVID-19 even started, he went to the bank to secure money to your capital expenditures because from his forecast, he saw he doesn't have enough money. So if the line is secured from the bank, capital expenditure will have no impact on your working capital because the bank already agreed to give you a long-term loan that finances your uh, long-term capital expenditures. However, if the group CFO at the beginning of the year forecasted that we, he will have partially or 50% of your capital expenditures financed from the working capital, from the profits, this means he might have only secured 30 or 40% to finance you with. In the crisis, and he relied 70% on profits from within, from within the house. If this profit during the crisis goes down and liquidity suffers, your capital expenditures will have impact, of course. You will not be able to finance it anymore. So this is the trade-off, or this is the interrelation. If originally you have been catered through a long-term loan, no problem. The bank already gave the money, you're cruising. But if uh, uh, the financing of them is from partly from the bank, partly from the cash within the company, so the working capital will be affected and the working the capital expenditures will be affected as well. So in taking a decision regarding a, a crisis, many C group CFOs put a hold on the capital expenditures. Why? Because they say we can stop it for a while because we need to cater our short-term commitments. So they will take the money that was previously set aside to finance your long-term uh, 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 plans or capital expenditures, and they will start spending it on the day-to-day -day activities up until the business rebalances and they kick off, then they will continue with the capital expenditures. So I hope I answered your question. Thank you, thank you, Nabil. Um, to everyone, because we have a um, time limitation uh, and we will have to finish with the presentation. Um, thank you, Mr. Nabil, for answering the questions. Um, I know My that um, many of the questions are still not answered, but as many of you know that uh, Leoran Institute at the moment is um, in the upcoming period is organizing um, live virtual training sessions. So uh, we will organize these courses related to these topics. 
um, is um, I will share with you our finance portfolio. You can check what we have for the upcoming period in June and July. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. I will provide you with anything that you need. And um, once again, thank you for joining the webinar. Thank you to Mr. Nabil for this uh, great presentation. And I hope my pleasure, that, my pleasure. And I hope that we will be seeing you on our courses. Very well. Thank you very much. Stay safe, please. Looking forward to meet you all. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.